All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 206 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. Frank, how was the weekend? It was good. Pretty quiet. Uh, this was the first weekend that I can remember. Baseball was rained out on Saturday. First weekend I can remember where I had nothing on our family agenda. Baseball season for your kids has started already? Oh, yeah. We've had practices for weeks. Saturday was just rained out. It was supposed to be the first game. Oh, geez. Sucks for the kids. They're probably just choked. Yeah, they were game. Yeah, not happy, but we got. it's moved to Tuesday night. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Are you, uh, do you watch March Madness at all? I do. Uh, I've, I've really actually have watched a lot of this year's tournament. Oh, and the men and the women's tournaments being great. I have not watched any of the women's tournament, but I did see that the ratings five and a half million bucks, five and a half million viewers, I should say, uh, over the weekend and the final four is like, those numbers are bananas. Oh, man. Well, there was all the controversy, to, uh, to quote Jimmy Fallon, um, because of uh, Angel Reese and a little bit of taunting with the ring finger and uh, the John Cena, um, you can't see me, of course, to uh, to uh, uh, Caitlin Clark, who's been unreal in the tournament, set the record for most points scored. And you know what? I, I find it funny how many people get so thinking that in pro sports, and hey, NCAA now with NIL, it's very close to pro sports for what some of them get paid. Um, here's the facts. Um, emotions run high and taunting, especially in basketball, part of the game. There's always been chirping. There's always been taunting. People get so freaked out. Oh, my kids are going to see that. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, yeah, your kids see you every day. Are you perfect? If not, zip it. Uh, like you never saw it? Never saw I saw it. I, didn't, like, I saw the clips of the controversy. I just... I don't know what there is to say. Like, is it, is it problematic? Like if this happened in the men's game, would there be any issue? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I think it's uh it's overblown by a lot of people who suddenly I'm like, Hey, guess what? Sports is high emotion. And uh, sometimes people, uh, is it, is it the perfect uh, way to act? Of course not. Is it detrimental? Is it something that you wouldn't want? I'm like, uh, I think we can go every, I, I coach kids and you know what? Some of the most well-behaved kids every now and then, you know what? They have a little bit of a snap show. It happens. Just to remind them, Hey, you can't do that all the time. And if it happens once a year, you live with it. 
Now, um, we're going to get to so the just, just for some perspective, because I hear all the time, you know, no one watches women's sports. Women's sports don't matter. So the two NCAA semifinal games, women's, averaged four and a half million viewers. Okay. Yeah. Last year's Stanley Cup final on ESPN in the U.S., ESPN and ABC, it averaged uh, just under that. Oh, yeah. And most years on NBC was pretty well south of that, like half of that. So I think uh, to bring it back to hockey and what matters, um, I would say that is, to me, a further indication of the work that hockey needs to do. Hey, dude, we could we could have a whole conversation about their their. You know what? Hey, they make how lots many sports of money. are passing hockey? Yeah, MLS they make money, but UFC they got lots of room to grow. Do you, I don't know if you saw the major merger today between UFC and WWE? Twenty one point yes. three billion dollars. I saw that. I mean, Great. the NHL just had like it's. Where does it actually rank on the list of North American sports? And you can't even say pro sports because college basketball and college football are way, way more popular than the NHL. Yeah, and I think MLS is now too. And I think what's really interesting about MLS is that their franchise values are catching up, and their growth has exceeded the NHL. Their franchise values are quickly catching up. Oh, hey, the NHL has to look and say, what can we do to uh, to further improve our sport and, and get more eyeballs on it? I, it's a 100% topic for sure. And so, isn't, uh, isn't that the opposite of what we hear from them, though? Oh, yes. every time we turn around, the game's in a good place. Oh, yeah. Game's oh, yeah, never been better. Frank, it's because they have a CBA. When they have a CBA in place, everything's great. It's the minute the CBA isn't, then suddenly there's problems. That's, suddenly they're they're so poor. Yeah. That, that, that's been the uh, that's been Gary's playbook for decades. It's not new. And, and, and the NHL, the, the PA, because they're the ones who get paid, they, they should be taking note to say, hey, wait a sec. We claim it's in a good place, but is it really? What are we doing? All right. Hockey is really expensive for people. That's a big factor. Make no mistake about it. The, uh, the, the cost to play. And because of the arenas and the, and the ice and everything, they're expensive. You can't just go pick up a game anywhere on a court somewhere like you can basketball or play grass football. So that's a factor, you know, unless you're in a, in a place where you have outdoor rinks and ponds, right, which is only going to be a few months of the year. That's a factor. So um, I do think the NHL has to look and say, how do we continue to grow the game? Because um, other ones are, are definitely have been bigger. And uh, now with um, – you know, more exposure, like what are they doing to get the young fans in, Frank? That to me is the biggest question. The Gen Zers, that's it. Yeah. Like they don't, I don't think they care about hockey. No, well, for the most part. What they need to do, the NHL, honestly, they need to be having more of a presence and they got some presence, but you need more of it from teams. Where are the young kids on? They're on TikTok, right? They're on Get out there, have your players 10-second, 5-second clips. Honestly, that's what you need to do. They might not like it to be, oh, we don't need to do that. Well, trust me, that's what they're watching. So can we bring Tyler in for a second? Because, Tyler, um, can you just tell the story of, like, I, so I don't use TikTok and I don't go on it, but when, you, when, when we post some of our videos on TikTok, can you just tell them when it's, like, uh, what the comments are like when it's, like, hey, yeah, like, oh. if – you know, I'm like, hey, I talked to a, a GM and they said this. What do they normally say about me? Well, yeah, so like a big part of our strategy as a podcast is, you know, get big on TikTok, get the views up on TikTok. <laughs> and the kids on TikTok obviously don't know who you guys are or have like any frame of reference to like your jobs. So whenever we post anything and one of you or Frank is like, I talked to an NHL executive last week and this happened. Or I talked to exe- or uh, Bill Daly, he said this. The comments are all these kids who are like, yeah. Sure, I'm going to fucking believe this guy's talking to an NHL GM. Like, shut up, buddy. You don't talk to NHL GMs. It's hilarious. That's so awesome. But it's also a real disconnect, right, between, like, reality and not. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's part of, like, Gregor said, that audience just there in a totally different world than kind of the audience we're used to connecting with. It's really weird. Yeah, and, and you have to service the audience that's your main audience, no question. And so you have to continue that. But your, any growth is you're looking to expand. And so all those kids, if, if, you, if you keep hitting them over the head, eventually be like, oh, this guy must talk to GMs. He's only posted about it for six months straight. 
right? And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, maybe I'll follow them. And you might only get 2%, but that's growth. 2% every time. And uh, our clips do really well there on, yes. on TikTok for the most part. Um, I, I just, I was really alarmed with Marty Walsh's opening press conference as NHLPA executive director. On the one hand, I think it's, it's too early. There, there's nothing to judge. He's like quite literally a hockey neophyte. He was essentially born date of birth last Monday because that's the day that he arrived at the NHLPA offices in Toronto for the first time. I don't think he spent much time in his life reading the NHL CBA. He doesn't really know the powers that be and the players involved, meaning his adversaries. Gary Bettman has a like quite literally a 30 year head start on whatever happens next. But I think so on, on the one hand, you know, you're not judging him at all, but on the other when he was asked about what it's like to go up eventually against Gary Bettman, who does have that 30-year head start, he said, I don't view us as adversaries. I don't view us as combatants. I view us as partners. I'm paraphrasing, but I just feel like the idea that, you know, you always hear, you know, going back to what you were saying about, you know, wartime for the NHL and peacetime that concept of being partners only exists when it's peacetime. And then mm-hmm. when not, it's we're combatants. And so there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of bridges that need to be built. And, you know, again, we'll find out a lot more about Marty Walsh in the next six months as he gets up to speed. Uh, but that was also kind of alarming to me. You know, you always want to say the friendly and nice thing, but I don't know, maybe, maybe there is, I'm trying to go into this with an open mind. Maybe there is room for a true partnership. It's just that it's never really been that to this point. And to think that that's actually going to change, it doesn't seem likely under this current regime on the other side. Fair. Uh, And Hey, maybe Walsh can, maybe Walsh can change that viewpoint, but um, you know, the past is what it is and uh, it doesn't guarantee that the future won't be different, but historically, that's what the NHL has done every time. Luckily, they have a little bit longer of a CBA this time, so that's good. But um, I, I still feel that both sides should be looking at now that it's, quote, peacetime, this is when they should be making strides together to be like, rather, oh, it's in the CBA. We don't have to negotiate anything else. It's It gets back to international hockey every time. And my thing is we need to stop using the World Cup of Hockey and Olympic participation as a, as a bargaining chip. It can't be part of the CBA in the sense that anytime the, you know, you're not getting what you want, you take international hockey off the table for too often. That's been the case. There's a reason why we've only played two world cup of hockey's 2004 and 2016. The rest of the time they can't get their act together to do it. And don't give me the, Oh, well there was a pandemic. Now they had an opportunity to play one again in 2024 and they're not because they can't put a stake in the ground with Russian player participation. No, yeah. can't make a decision. No, I know, and it's a just, hard decision. That's that's really the truth is they can't make a hard decision. Bingo. Yeah, the the uh, the right decision is usually the hard decision in, in, in any walk of life. So, and I don't know what the right decision is because on the one hand, you're you're making your your tournament significantly worse off by not including Russian players, and it's not true best on best. There's only really what. What would you say, like six traditional hockey powers? Yeah, maybe seven, I think. Slovakia and the Czech are now separated. I would say seven. And here's the thing, Frank. Like, the the blueprint to do this is there. The Olympics has allowed Russian athletes to play, just not under the Russian flag. But the NHL doesn't want to take the heat for that, for, for taking that step. No one's done that since Russia has invaded Ukraine. Yeah, well, have the guts. Again, right decision. Or just just hardest. just exclude them. Like I'm fine either way. Yeah. Just say, hey, you know what? Uh, sorry, you can't play. Yeah, you could do that. And what's, you know what? What's wrong with that? And at the end, people might. Oh yeah, it's you're missing one one big company. Well, look at the World Cup of Soccer. Some of the biggest nations didn't qualify. Right? You had some worse nations. This tournament still went on. Now they weren't banned, but they didn't qualify. So, guess what? The tournament without Russia. Um, once it, it would be missed until the tournament starts and you get into the quarterfinals and the semifinals and there's tight games and then no one would care. It's just how it would be. Just make a decision. Just play yeah. the tournament. It should have been played. 
Now, we're going to get to the play, but we have three topics we want to get on to uh, today. Topic number one, Frank, offense is up again in the National Hockey League, which is uh, music to my ears as somebody who likes offense. So my question is, historically, you know what? It'll peak up. Do you think offense will continue? We're both going to answer the question as to why you think offense will continue to increase or not in the coming years. I'm going to say no, it does not. I'm going to say it remains flat uh, because we saw this like for the longest time there would be a peak and then it would sort of level out. And then like just looking historically for basically the entire, or not the entire, but a good chunk of the 2010 decade from 2010 to 2017, it was almost every season you could set your watch to, you know, sort of, 5.5 goals a game. And it's it's increased, you know, almost a full goal per game off of that number since then. And my guess is it, it sort of remains static in that. I just don't know how much further there is to go. I really don't. Could, could we get back to the, you know, mid-1980s or early 1980s where we were seeing eight goals a game? I don't think so. That's a really long way to go. And I think in the meantime, coaches are going to get better at defending and goaltenders are going to figure out some things um, to really try and gain back the advantage that they lost to shooters. See, that's an interesting one because I've talked to goalies about this question because the one thing we're seeing, that there's a big change in, in the shooters. Everybody knows that the goalies are butterflies. There's, there's a few hybrid guys left. Well, you know, Mark andre Fleur and a few others that will stand up more than most. But for the most, you're butterfly. You're going down and you're playing the odds. And if the players beat you, they're going to beat you over the shoulders. That's So that's one factor. And the a lot of the goalies have always been butterfly goalies. And I talked to, to a few goalies here recently and just asked them, how difficult would it be to suddenly become a hybrid goalie? And they were like, what? Like two, well, one guy who is, he's maybe on a, the low end of a hybrid, he done it, does it, did it a little bit. Uh, he said, eh, maybe, but guys who are fear butterfly were like, no, I don't think I could do it. Now, everybody's fearful of change, so maybe it's just a change. But because of that, I don't see if we're suddenly going to see goalies standing up more. If anything, the shooters who have hired skills coaches now the last few years, they're just going to keep getting better at hitting those small spots more frequently. I think the skill is higher. So unless the goalies really change, and then the other part of the game is, Frank, you're going east to west a lot more than ever before, right? They've realized if you can attack side to side, force the goalies to move, even the big goalies, when they come across, there's more space, there's more holes for you to hit. And and I don't think that's naturally going to change. If anything, I think more teams are going to be doing it. So yeah, but goalies thought, are going to have to adapt to it, and I think that's what we're going to see. Yeah, but you're, but it's going to take a while for them to adapt because getting them to adapt a whole style change in an offseason is difficult. You're, you're right. It's not going to be overnight, but I like. do you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? I don't. See, I do. I think offense is going to go up, and here's the other reason why. Because of power plays and two reasons. Power play efficiency is the best it's ever been, right? Teams are better on the power play now than they ever have before. They work on it. You've got skill guys. You look at the Edmonton orders are on pace to have the greatest power play ever in a season. And it's not just them. If you look across the league, you're up to about 21.4% average. It's going to be team. the highest. Yeah, 24, yeah 21.4 is the highest since 1989-90. And power play opportunities are up. Are the, right. They're up. And I think because the game's quicker and people, it's funny. Some of the listeners might, because everybody wants more power plays. They always think their team's getting screwed over, but the power plays are actually increasing, but not and, by much. And I would say, in fact, it's not even at the high of the last 10 years. No, so really which is what why we're seeing is a huge increase in five on five goals. Yeah, but it went down, and now the power plays, I still think, will continue to go up. And here's the big reason why. Last year in the NHL regular season, and this is another note to anybody who keeps repeating the falsehood that power plays don't matter in the playoffs. It's insane. Here, here's why they matter. Last year in the regular season, there was a combined, on average, 5.77 power plays per game. It's about 2.88 per team. In the playoffs, it was 7 
3.62. It was up to 3.81, almost a full power play more per game per team. And I have some individual numbers, Frank, just over the last few years. Now, I know that one or one fan base might not like this, but here's the thing, Toronto Maple Leafs fans. In your team's losses in the last two years, right, they lost in 7-7 seven, seven, and then in 5 to Columbus. They've lost to Columbus to Montreal and Tampa. So don't give me that it's just Tampa and Boston that beat them. In the series against Tampa Bay, in their losses, guess how many power play goals they had? In one game, one, that's it. Their other three losses, none, right? Montreal, the last three, they were up in that series, three games to one, game six and seven, no power play goals. Montreal had three, right? So don't tell me power plays don't matter. At key times, they do matter. And I think when you're when you look at the uh, the reason I think offense is going to continue to creep up, I don't think it's reached its peak because power play opportunities are going to continue to rise. Power plays are better, but also as you mentioned, Frank, five on five scoring. There's more skill in the league because players work more. Like I know there's skills coaches with players in the off season, and the best players do this. They work on they take all the video and they look at what's the best place to exploit a goaltender from certain areas, where they're shooting the puck from, where's the release point, and positioning literally a difference of six inches. If you move here, you have a better angle. And, and I think that's why offense is going to continue to increase in the NHL moving forward. Okay, interesting argument. I Unfortunately, we won't know for another year. Yeah, yeah. Or six months, at but least. I think it's positive. And, and Please stop repeating that power plays don't matter. Folks. It's insane. I don't understand why people and people were. I I, I remember on on Thursday we talked about the Leon Drysital chase of Tim, Tim Kerr's Kerr. record and how you know he he added another one, became the first player since Mario Lemieux in ninety five ninety six to hit thirty power play goals in one season. Everyone in my mentions were like, "Oh, that's great," but he did it on the power play. I'm like, last time I checked, those goals still count the same and. They still help your team win. Like what? It's not a skills competition. It's not the shootout where the stats aren't even a kind of officially kept. Like it actually matters. Oh yeah. It's like the three point line in basketball. Like yeah. The best teams in the league are the best three point shooters for the most part. Yeah. Like did Steph Curry, because he crushed you at three point, did that not matter in the playoffs? I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. The best teams in the playoffs usually typically have the best power play. That's yeah, how you Colorado, 32% in the postseason last year. Tampa Bay the year before, 32%. Don't it's, tell me power plays don't matter. It, it, you, there's a direct correlation between Stanley Cups and power play. Yeah. 100%. Uh, Frank, we are nearing the end of the regular season. Um, the playoff race, we'll get to that in a sec. It's still uh, hot and heavy in a lot of places. But coaching changes every year when the season ends, there are a few. Between now and the end of April, because that gives you more time for, you know, some teams might wait, you know, it gives us a little bit more runway. How many coaching changes do you expect before May 1st? So if I were Tyler, I would be setting the over-under at two and a half. Good line. I would say here are the candidates um, for a coaching change. Ottawa with DJ Smith and dependent on what happens with the ownership group. Anaheim with Dallas Akins. He's in the final year of his deal, I believe. Um, Nashville and John Hines. That's three. And then there are the sort of I don't know if you want to call them sneaky ones or maybe not so obvious ones. I, I guess I would include Sheldon Keefe if the Leafs lose in the first round. So that could be four. And I really don't have an answer and I hate openly speculating on, but I'm really curious about what happens with Brad Larson in Columbus would be five. Daryl Sutter in Calgary is six. And I would say... Uh, way more of an outside shot, but can't be totally ruled out as Craig Berube in St. Louis. Potentially seven, you're saying. Yeah, I, I think like a couple of those guys are in spots where it's like, hey, let's see how next season starts. Like I would include Craig Berube in that category. Yeah, so I went back and looked, and there's been a significant amount of coaching change the last two years, right? Uh, basically 17 teams either are in the first year, 
coaching this year or guys who are in their second year or a year and a half like Woodcroft in, in Edmonton. So there's 15 teams who whose coach has been there longer than, than two years, right? There's some obvious ones. Colorado's not making a change. They just obviously uh, extended Bedner. L.A. and McClellan, they're not making a change. Minnesota's not making a change. Um, Tampa Bay, I don't think so. Carolina, New Jersey, um, Buffalo, Pittsburgh. I think they really, really like the pattern they're going. Uh, see, the other one to me is, what if Pittsburgh misses? Is no. there a chance? No, on Sullivan? It's yeah. a de- it's a stone cold no. They just gave Mike Sullivan a five-year extension that extended him three years, maybe four years past their general manager in Ron Hextall. Mike Sullivan is the guy, I think he ha- potentially has a lifetime job in Pittsburgh, and I'm not exaggerating. Okay. Because now... Um, in Anaheim and, and Ottawa, Smith and Aikens, they are tied for the seventh longest tenured head coaches in the league. They both coach 286 games, and uh, Aikens and the Ducks, they've won 100. They're 100 wins and 186 losses, whether it's regulation or overtime. And uh, DJ Smith has won 118 games out of 286. I think those are the two kind of obvious ones, especially mention ownership in, in Ottawa. That was one of their new guy. And I think in Anaheim, it's four seasons. There really hasn't been much improvement. I think both parties would be probably like, okay, let's make a change. I think those two are the obvious ones, Frank. I don't see. I don't know that I agree. Like, so first off, I, I would think that my biggest issue with the Sens and this season is a lot of people have, you know, I, someone asked me a couple weeks ago, Hey, did the back-to-back losses for the Sens this weekend crush their playoff hopes? And I'm like, no, the fact that they went six, 12 and one in November, that out of the gate, that crushed their playoff hopes. Like you can't be that underwater and you can't do it year after year. Like how many times are the Sens going to start slow? Yeah. Before you say this has something to do with the staff that's in place. Because yeah, the players have been changed out. Yeah. Like, I think Smith is is a guy that they're going to make move on. I think those two are the obvious ones. But it depends on who the next ownership group is, because my understanding is I think uh, I've been told, at least, that there are ties between DJ Smith and some of the bidders in this process. That maybe that gives him an extra, you know, an extra year. Well, that, right. that might be why our April 30th deadline for this question, that could come into play then. Right. Okay. Maybe is the deal because maybe the deal isn't done by then, so you could be bang on that that extends him potentially, maybe. and they do it. But if, if but I looking, would I would say D- Dallas Eakins is not as obvious, and I'll tell you why. When you look at this season, and you look at where the Ducks are going next year and beyond, you you can make the decision if you're Pat Verbeek to not bring him back, and I think everyone would understand but then you need to go and replace him who like I'm not, it's one of 32. So you're going to have someone step up and be interested and intrigued in that job, but they're going, the record is going to be just as bad as it was with Dallas Aikens. I don't agree. I don't disagree. I think they'll be looking at though. So when you've been losing all that often as they have, Frank, sometimes I just think a different voice will be, will be different for players. Well, because well, look at how they're ending the season. Look at their def- like they're getting crushed in games. Like now, look I know at they their defense. Look well, at their, look who they're icing in their I, lineup. I know. I totally agree. Yeah, they got to give them better players. This isn't a full throated defense of Dallas Aikens. All I'm saying is, when you look at some of their younger players, I would you know, are you seeing a positive trajectory in their games? And I would say, for the most part, you are. Is the team and I? Hey, I got you. Have to have some horses, no doubt. But have there been any improvements as a group defensively? I think that would be the question, Pat. Oh my God! Look at this. Look at look at who they're playing. Here, oh, no. here let me read you their oh, no. seven defense. I, I just saw. Them. I know their defense. I know Cam their defense. Fowler, Kevin Shattenkirk, Nathan Bolu, Colton White, Simone Benoit, Scott Harrington, Andre Schuster. How many of those guys would make the top seven of any other team in the league? Two? Well, Fowler for sure, yeah. Two. Yeah. Maybe Kevin Shattenkirk is a seven somewhere. Yeah. And that, that's with all due respect to Kevin Shattenkirk, who's had a great career, is clearly in the twilight of it. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying that they're, 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 he's got a ton of horses. Don't get me wrong. The coach getting fired doesn't mean he's terrible. I just think after four years, there'll be a change. Okay. Uh, and I'm not saying you're wrong, and I'm not saying it's wrong to change. All I'm saying is how many, how, like, what kind of realistic results are you expecting? Let me read those guys to you again. Fowler, Shattenkirk, Beaulieu, White, Benoit, Harrington, Schuster. Schuster was an AHL money dump. Scott Harrington was a waiver claim. And I can't tell you that I've seen any of Colton White or Simone Benoit play. Yeah. Well, Benoit is huge, actually. I thought he was pretty good in the Edmonton game, surprisingly enough. But, um, but like, that, that's an AHL quality defense. Yeah, yeah. It's bordering on it. It's fair. So, so what, like, what kind of results are you realistically expecting? That's well, I think they're, they're going to make changes. I don't expect them to bring back that defense core. Do you? I, I here's my problem is they've got some good young defensemen coming. Yes. But how do you integrate those players into the NHL without getting your head kicked in? Yeah. Which you got to have some veteran. You got to have get some veterans. Ah, free agents. You're not going to try. Yeah. You're, you're going to be signing uh, again, bottom of the barrel free agents again. That's that's really what you're left with because you're not going to be trading assets to fill out your NHL roster. You, you could overpay for a quality vet on a two or three year deal. You might have to with it. their cap situation. Yeah, and they and they have the, they have money to do it. They, they only have forty three million dollars committed to next year. Yeah. So, so they got lots you, of money. You could, I mean, you could do the same sort of John Klingberg thing again. I don't think yeah. that worked out very well. They no, spent I think seven they million bucks a, for a fourth round pick. They got Jamie Drysdale. They need more of like a defensive-minded defenseman to help as a veteran guy. Here's how you defend in the NHL. I think that would help <sighs> for sure. The big wild card, though, Frank, is Calgary, right? Um, if they miss the playoffs, is there a coaching change? I think if even if they make the playoffs, there might be a coaching change. Okay, there you go. I just think that the frustration and friction has been so evident from the start of this season. The Daryl Sutter Act has worn thin on just about everyone. And I, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. You've got a general manager that is in the last year of his deal. You've got a coach that's extended for two more. And how, like, will one of them be back? Will none of them be back? Will both of, I, I just don't envision a path where both of them are back. Okay. And I'm not saying it's one or the other. I think there's a real, like, there's a greater than 25% chance that neither one of them are back. How about that? All right. Fair. Now for fun. So what, where, where do you end up? What's your, give me your number. What, how I'm many coaching three. changes? Three. So that's kind of why I see what, okay. Let's, can we talk about Columbus for a second? Like yeah. what happens with Brad Larson? And I'm not, I don't think, you know, all of what's happened this season has been on Brad Larson, but I, I can't say that that team really impressed me last year either. And then they went out and spent $80 million and they've had the injuries this year, but I don't think that team moving forward for both GM Yarmo Kekalainen and Brad Larson can just hide behind the idea of, Oh, well, we had a tough injury year and we were the 31st place team in the league. Here's my big wall card, Frank. The team who wins the Bedard lottery, and we'll know, and and unfortunately we don't know that until May sixth or seventh, right? May seventh. You think, think they fire their coach? Yeah. Yes. I really wonder if that's if if that plays a factor in it. They look and say, okay, you know what? Now we got to make a change. We need somebody else. Um, maybe it's more experience. Maybe it's different voice. Whatever it is, and I wonder if that because if you look right now. No, I don't think San Jose I would exclude from that because Mike Greer, they just hired a coach. I don't think they're going to fire their coach. But Anaheim is definitely in. Columbus. And then the other team would be Chicago. Now, I don't think they'd make a coaching change. No but, way. They love yeah. Luke Richardson in the yeah, year. Not, not Richardson. But two of those four, I think, if Anaheim or Columbus wins Bedard, I think it's a lock. If they haven't fired their coach before then, I think they do after. One other coaching potential coaching change that we did not speak about uh, that has really flown under the radar and has not gotten nearly as enough attention is I believe that Peter Laviolette is also in the final weeks of his deal as well. So he does not have an extension to my knowledge with the Washington capitals and they could be heading for a change. Okay. Interesting. 
So that 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 has to increase the number, doesn't it? Like the fact that they've gotten to this point, and they're another team that have had injury issues all year, but they're not going to be a playoff team. They had expectations to be one, and they're turning over a big chunk of their roster. Are they bringing him back? He's had a lot of success, man. But oh, yeah, everywhere he's gone, he's had success for the yeah. most part. But uh, if he doesn't coach. have a contract. Does he what's look taking, say, what's taking it so long? Yeah. Or does he look and say, Hey, maybe there's a better fit for me somewhere else. Maybe. So before we get to the playoffs, Frank, I want to put you fun. Pretend you're a fantasy GM. What's one trade you would make this off season. Vancouver Canucks trading JT Miller. Wow. You think it's possible that they can move him? Like I know, because oh, yeah. he doesn't have a no movement clause until Ju- July first. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins, and again, we don't know what's going to happen with their general manager. They were they were really interested. I don't know if they would have been able to pull it off at the end. I think the deal that they were talking about involved two first round picks. Um, Obviously, he's a Pittsburgh kid, so that sort of, you know, he's born in Pittsburgh. That sort of adds to it a little bit, I think. Um, I think they even got to the point where they were talking about the other pieces that they would move in order to make it happen. Um, That's the one that I would focus on. Because I think you, we just talked about our free agent class, right? And how weak it is. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be at such a premium this year for a team that's really looking to improve themselves. And you worry about the back end of the deal later. Like, is JT Miller an $8 million player right now? I think sort of without question. Will he be an $8 million player for the next two, you know, two three, four years? Probably without question. Okay. And then you figure out whatever happens after that. It's sort of like how the Oilers viewed things with Ekholm. Yeah, year three or four of that contract might not be that pretty, but you're all about improving your team right now. And if you're the Canucks, like, I get how well Miller has played of late and for Rick Tockett, but at the same time, you, you've, you, you have to have everything mapped out over the next number of years. And is Miller really part of that? That I think is a big question. Okay, that's fair. The one trade that I would look at, and I'm looking at the Ottawa Senators. You talked about it earlier, Frank, and I said at the start of the season, the reason why I didn't pick the Sens to to make the playoffs is because they don't have enough defenders. They got lots of good young guys who they like. And, you know, you got Sanderson and Shabbat on the left side. You bring him Chikrin, and I still think he's more of a left D than a right D. And I like Artem Zub, but they need a veteran right defender. And even if I have to overpay a bit, because they got a boatload of offense up front. They got lots of good offensive players, right? Um, and the thing is, if you look on their blue line, I think this is the time, and, and some Sens fans might cringe. I just don't think if you want to actually win and make the playoffs, you can't go into next season with Shabbat and Sanderson and Bernard Docker and, and Clev and all of them and think, okay, you know what? We're going to be successful. And even not the following year. I'm not sure it's realistic. You need to get a better defender now. And I would move, if it means moving one of your young guys to do it, I'd strongly consider. I think this is the offseason. Who is it? Who's your guy? Well, I looked at Justin Falk in in St. Louis. He's a right shot D-man. He's 32. And I know the contract we just talked about, Ekholm, it might hurt you down the road. But it gets you a veteran guy that you can pair with Sanderson. And then you could have Shabbat, and if you want to move Chikrin to the right side, you can, or Artem Zub, right? Zub and Shabbat have played pretty well in the past. Because I'm looking at teams that, you know, St. Louis wants... What about Mackenzie Weger? He just signed that contract in Calgary, right? Like, would they he's move an, He's an Ottawa kid, though. Yeah, it's possible. I would and he's a, right, he's a right-shot guy. Yes, I would he's do that. He's got a contract that probably fits. He's got yeah. some swagger. Because that's what they need. They needed a right shot defenseman. They've got one right now who's like a legit top four. And they, they just need more. With so many young de- defensemen there, you need someone to help protect them so they don't have to play as many tough minutes. 
because they're getting their teeth kicked in still too often defensively. You don't win with that many young D-men. And they got lots, and that's good. So you're going to have to move one. And I it's risky because you might move the wrong one, but that's where your scouts come in and you say, we have to get a guy. And even if the guy you move has success, if the guy you bring in helps your other young guys get better, then it's a win. Well, they're, they're also the Sens are a team that are a candidate for a GM change. I don't think it's – there's nothing written in stone because no one knows how the next ownership group is going to react, but I think a lot of people are bracing for that possibility in Ottawa. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think um, there's, there's I reasons just, why. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I just – I wish there was a way to – like for the Sharks to work something out to send Carlson back there. I, I just – Carlson – he just fits too well in Ottawa. He makes sense for so many reasons. Hmm. Still has a house be, there. Yeah, that'd be I a just, big move. I, it just the, the the Sharks have to come to grips with the idea that, and this is where they've failed. I think to this point is the value the value of the cap space. Yeah, they're gonna have to retain some salary too. It's it's not just that, but they they didn't properly value. I don't think the I as well as Carlson has played this year, and he's only five points away from a hundred. They they in their trade talks asking for three first round picks, even with retaining salary, they're not properly valuing moving seven million bucks off their cap for the next four years. Like that, that is where the value is. And maybe they're saying our team's not going to be very good, so it doesn't matter, but you're just not going to get the return you want. I I think that's the fact. And there's only so few teams that can actually even entertain a Carlson conversation based on cap space. The Sens are one of the few. Yeah. Uh, Frank, now let's get to it before we end. Um, the playoff race, man, it, it somehow keeps getting tighter. The New York Islanders lose, so they've got four games left. They got 87 points. Uh, Pittsburgh has five left. They have 86 points. Florida has five left. They have 85 points. And uh, here's the if they, uh, the Penguins, though, have the, they don't have the tiebreaker because the Islanders in Florida have uh, more regulation wins, four than both of them. So Islanders, Penguins, Florida, one of the, Misses. Has your opinion changed in the last week at all as far as who's out? I'm wondering if now the Islanders are vulnerable. I wasn't, I I thought for sure the Islanders were a lock and I thought it was one of Pittsburgh or Florida. And I just don't know that that's the case. Like the Penguins, I just I, I don't envision a world in which they're out of it because you, you have a weekend like they just had, right? They lose to the Bruins on Saturday. Then they play the Flyers, and they're a little bit slow out of the gate, and they're trying to avoid this sort of lost weekend where they get swept and everyone's hair is on fire. And then they somehow stave off a comeback from the Flyers, and it's just like I know the Flyers aren't great, but – it just felt like a Pittsburgh team to me that's like, we're going to do everything necessary to get there. As ugly as it may be, and as ugly as these last few months may have been for Pittsburgh, I just don't see them out. Yeah. Like the one thing the Islanders have, like their final three games, they only have four. They play Philly, Washington, and Montreal who've got nothing to play for. And that doesn't mean that they're easy outs, but those are teams that clearly they should be better than. And they play Tampa on Thursday and Tampa, you know, they want to play well, but you know, they're not desperate like the New York Islanders. No, but the yeah. lightning, by the way, have one, three straight as they have their playoff. They're the only matchup locked in now officially yeah. with the Leafs. They've won three straight and have outscored their opponents 14 to one in the last three games. Oh yeah. Just Never count out the bolts. Um, Pittsburgh, their next two games, like you wonder about the emotional highs and lows because they are, they're at New Jersey tomorrow and then they're in Minnesota on, on Thursday. Now the wild, some would say eventually the wild have to slow down a bit. They were ridiculous 16, one and four and 21. And, um, you know, they just lost on the weekend. So it's possible, but then it's after the devils just got their doors blown off by the jets, which we'll talk about in a second, but the devils are going to be hungry to win. 
Yes. Like that's a tough week for because it ends well with Detroit, Chicago, and Columbus. That's the easiest sked of anybody in the final three games. So that's their advantage, I, I think. And then you look at Florida, who has the tiebreaker, but they're currently a point back of the Penguins. They're, theirs is easier this week and then harder next week because they have Buffalo, Ottawa, and Washington. And then they finish with Toronto and Carolina. Now Toronto will, might be resting guys. They got injuries, so we'll see there. But um, I'll say this. I think Florida's in. So I'm going to take one of Pittsburgh or the Islanders. and So who I, that's what I'm saying. I think the Islanders are more vulnerable than we maybe realized. Yeah. Well, they suddenly are because, yeah, a week ago they looked like they were home free almost. Yeah, then they dropped two straight and then – they have fewer games remaining. I got like their so their max points are ninety five. Yeah. Yeah, you could be right, man. That's Florida uh, max points ninety five. Pittsburgh max points. I just I like Sorokin. That's the thing. Like I think he can. I know it's hard to bet against him, and against sort of that team that you know knuckles down. I, I'm I'm still gonna say the Islanders and Penguins get in, and Florida's out. Okay. That's what I'm going to say in the East. Stick to my uh, guns. I think the Islanders are out, but we'll see. Now, in the West, it's down to two. It's Winnipeg and Nashville. I'm sorry. They got a really hard schedule here. They got a lot of games down the stretch, and they got a lot of tough games. And um, God love them. They battled hard, but I I think the injuries and everything will finally catch up to them. Um, Calgary needed a third period last night. uh, Lucic and Stone get them the two goals, and they win. They keep pace. Winnipeg looks like they've woken up. They're offensive guys finally after in a drought, Frank, and we outlined it uh, last week. And I just – I know they play each other on Wednesday – um, the Flames, that's the second half of a back-to-back. It's going to be decided then, isn't it? Well, I, that the, the winner of that game, well, here's the advantage. If Calgary wins that game, Winnipeg still owns the tiebreaker, right? So Calgary, to me, is three points back with five to go. They're not just two, they're three. They got to finish outright ahead of Winnipeg. That's going to be their challenge. Which team had the more impressive weekend, Winnipeg or Calgary? Oh, Winnipeg for me, no question. Like, See, I, I would I would agree with you just based on the results and especially the the chi- the changes that they made to their lineup. However, I will say that the Flames showed me a little something. I know that their opponents were also not that impressive, but oh eighteen and three, that was Calgary's record this season when trailing after two periods. Yeah, they're now two eighteen and three. They won both games this weekend in come-from-behind fashion in the third period in a way that they haven't done all season. In an odd way to keep Chase as the the Jets were winning, I kind of think the Flames showed me a little bit more this weekend than the Jets did. Well, I think what they showed you is how they maybe soiled the sheets all year. And you talked about um, the Sabre, or no, who is it? that? Yeah, Oh, Ottawa. They're bad November. Well, the Flames' inability to ever win a game up until now, trailing after 40 minutes, that's going to be their downfall. Like, they've had so many one-goal losses. Like I said, I still think Calgary gets close, Frank, and I think they missed the playoffs by a point. Well, here's the thing. Their previous season-high winning streak was three. They had done it twice, and they hadn't done it since October or early November. They now have a four-game winning streak, and uh, if they... It's not, they're not facing a win out schedule. And the Jets, I think the Jets have the harder schedule, do they not? Yeah, Calgary has the easier schedule. schedule. I mean, look at at the the Flames. They have Vancouver, Chicago, Nashville, and San Jose. Aside from the, the must win game against the Jets, those are four pretty reasonable, winnable games. Oh, yeah. No, the hey, 100%. And the Jets, like the Calgary game's huge. If the Jets beat Calgary, I think it's over for Calgary. Um, but then they have Nashville, and the Preds come Saturday, Frank. They'll be emotionally spent. Like they could be done. And that's why. And then San Jose, who had played well lately, don't get me wrong, they've won three straight finally. But then, you know, Winnipeg finishing with Colorado and Minnesota, that's obviously way harder than Calgary finishes. But I find the Jets, the advantage they have is they're. They're going to be facing Calgary on the second half of a back-to-back. And I think that's – and their offensive guys right now are rolling. And you know how confidence works in the NHL. You get some, and they got some again. And yeah. Blake but Wheeler the confidence factor is going to be good for Calgary because, like I said, they've got the two come-from-behind wins. 
And they're going to face Chicago on the first end of the back-to-back. If they can get out to any sort of lead, they can maybe manage their time a little bit better the rest of the game. Then you got to fly to from Calgary to Winnipeg, which isn't crazy far. No. And if you if you light up Chicago, you're going to have some real confidence going into Winnipeg. And Winnipeg is going to be, I don't know, they're going to be white-knuckling it down the stretch. They know that if they lose that game, their schedule is harder the way in. I can envision a world in which the Calgary Flames eke out and, and are in when it's all said and done, based on this weekend. And I would have said last Thursday saying this, I would have said no chance. But they did show me something this weekend, that there is at least a pulse, there is a heartbeat. All right. Let's bring in uh, Tyler Yaremchuk. Ty, how you doing? I'm doing good, gents, and I'm ready to go with a fresh edition of Buy or Sell. And I got one question today that has something to do with some odds that are up at Batano. But first, I want to piggyback off what you guys were talking about with sort of the uh, the mock trade proposal idea. Barry Trotz going to be heading into his first summer as Predators GM. They have a total of six players who are making north or $5 million or more on the cap. It's Deshane, Johansson, Yossi, McDonough, Saros, and also Philip Forsberg in there. One of those players gets moved as Barry Trotz looks to kind of put his stamp on the roster. Buy or sell on that, Frank? I will buy, and there's a really interesting clip, and uh, you or Gavin could find it, Tyler, but... David Poyle was on my new pod, frankly speaking, last week. And he said he's a big, uh, so he's a meticulous planner, first off. Like, he's one of those guys that has, like, five-year plans. Everything's written down. And he said heading into this deadline, he had five goals written on a piece of paper. And he said four of them were accomplished. And so he kind of left the door open, and I said, okay, so what was the fifth one? He said, well, I can't tell you that because the player's still here. So that would signal to me that they have someone else that they wanted to move and tried to move and were not able to do so. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah, those are big tickets to move, right? That's the, like, would you move Soros? Oh, man, if you did, like, there'd be a huge lineup. But I don't think there's a lineup really for for Ryan Johansson. I'm not sure there's a big one for Duchesne. Um Ryan McDonough, doubtful. So it's either Forsberg or Yossi. And probably not Forsberg. Yeah. So, and I definitely don't think it's Yossi. Yeah. I wonder if it's someone like something as simple as Colton Sissons. Yeah. Or Dante Fabro, right? Potentially. So maybe Fabro. I could see that. So it might not be a big guy. So I'm going to say no. I don't think one of the big six get moved. All right. Second question I got for you, and you touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'll throw it your way anyways. Uh, one of JT Miller or Jonathan Huberto get moved this offseason. Buy or sell, Jason? Yeah, I don't, I don't see Huberto being moved. So um, I understand the reasoning, and Frank outlines a really good one for it. Um, I think Talkett likes Miller, so I'm going to say I am going to sell on both. Yeah, I mean, one. The question is, one of Miller or Huberto gets yeah. moved. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna buy on Miller. There. We know they tried, and I still think at the end of the day, the Canucks' favorable position, favored position, is to move JT Miller. Mm. Like they, I think they got as far deep between the Penguins and Canucks that they were trying to. The Canucks were trying to figure out where they could move Jason Zucker. Around around trade deadline time, that's how deep it got. No one will confirm that, but that's what I believe was one of the pieces moving the other way to make the money work. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Zucker a pending UFA, so that would have made sense for them to try to flip him if that would have happened. Interesting stuff. Uh, Batano has odds up for the Calder Trophy, and what I think is funny is that this is actually really one of the only awards that you can still bet on because so many of them are kind of put away. It's like that in the Norris, but. Uh, Matty Beniers is a huge favorite at number one. Second is Stuart Skinner. And then there's actually a big jump to three. Do you buy or sell Beniers and Skinner finishing one, two for the call? They're Skinner one uh, rookie of the month in March. Uh, Frank, you buying or selling? Beniers, Skinner is your one, two? So I've thought about this a lot. And I 
the ballots haven't been distributed yet, but I think if I were to get one today, my number one for Calder would be Skinner. And the reason for that is I don't know if the Oilers make the playoffs without him. And I know that this award is most outstanding rookie, not most valuable rookie. I just feel like the stability that he's provided and how well he's played has been absolutely critical for Edmonton. And um, he's, I think he's a big part of whatever they do next. Yeah, it's fair. Um, it's funny is Jack Campbell's numbers are atrocious. He still has 20 wins, which is uh, kind of nuts. So um yeah, well, like 20, I, 20 of 46. So yeah. congratulations yeah. for your $5.5 million goalie. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now. There's a rookie. There's a Calder question, Frank. Um, I'm going to say, well, I'm buying all day long that those are the top two. Okay. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, the interesting one is who's going to be third on the ballot, right? I, I think the, the one guy that doesn't get a lot of time, Matias Michelli in Arizona, man. He is quietly had a really good season. He's a dynamic, small little player. I think um, I think he easily could, could be on there. Um, you know, Wyatt Johnson has 21 goals as a rookie yeah. in, in Dallas and, you know, with, with not a lot of power play time, right? It's not like he's pumping in power play goals to get to that 21, right? He's tied with Beneers in, in power play markers. Um, you know, Shane Pinto, same thing as far as goals go. Like, those are guys, those four are all kind of battling to see who's going to be third. But I think it's Skinner and Beneers, and it'll just be a matter of, um, you know, do they do they look at the overall? And some people, I'm sure, are going to consider games played. Yeah, and don't, don't overlook Kent Johnson. And, like, Michelli will be on my ballot somewhere, probably closer to five. But Kent Johnson's had a great year, and so has Wyatt Johnson. Oh, yeah. Why Johnson's quietly had a really good year, man. So you play that many penalty kill minutes as a rookie. That's pretty impressive. So Owen Power, where would you put him? Yeah, he might get some votes in your top five. I think he'd probably he be should, more. He's going to be in my top five somewhere. I just don't yeah, know where. Be around the five mark, I would think. Yeah. Like there's. He's it, played it, 24 know, minutes a night on a team that was a fringe playoff team and has yeah, like there's lots points. of There's lots of good competitions, Frank outside of first or second for a lot of these awards. Some of the awards are kind of obvious for, for number one or the top two battles, but then three, four, five, and a lot of them, their strong arguments can be made for a lot of players in different ones. So that's yeah. what makes it interesting. I think Baneers had a has had a great year. I think he's an incredibly smart player and a complete player, which is impressive for his age. But I I don't... I just, I, again, not most valuable rookie, but I just think Skinner's year has been pretty good, and people are overlooking him because a lot of people didn't even know he was a rookie. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, hey, Skinner's had, hey, made the all-star team. I think people will, will know about it for sure. It's, uh, it's always challenging for a goalie just because of games played, right? That's Unfortunately, I think the challenge for him, yeah, is... Because, is... look, Ryan Nugent Hopkins lost when he missed 20 games, even though he finished with the same amount of points as Landis Cock. The right. issue so I do for, think games played will matter for some people. Yeah, but Skinner started 44 games for a playoff team. 9-11 yeah. save percentage. Like, the issue for Skinner is that, uh, I'm not going to say a lot of voters, but a lot of people in the general public, because he didn't hit the games played in the last two seasons, even though this is technically the third year in a row that he's played NHL games, I think his his impact is unfairly dinged because people say, oh, well, he's not kind of really a rookie because he played and started 12 games last year. Yeah. Wow. That, but that's not how that works. No, Matty no, Benier's not at all. played 10, nine. 9, 10 games last exactly. year. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think he's a rookie. Yeah, that doesn't even come into play for me. But, but unfortunately, be- it does. That's how voters think. Yeah. So, yeah. it's a good question. But they're both, t- I think they're top two. It's just a matter of who's one and who's two. Yeah, Botano has them as top two. Beniers is minus 667, so an overwhelming favorite. Skinner, nine to one. Matias Michelli is number three on the odds board right now, followed by. Is that one. the only award you can vote on at Botano? Uh, no, actually, I was wrong. I, I scrolled down a little bit and I found uh, a handful of others. Um, but, I mean, Allmark is a huge runaway with the Vesna right now. Um, the Carlson, or sorry, the Norris is tighter with Carlson leading the way, and McDavid's obviously running away with the Hart Trophy as well. What are the McDavid odds for the Hart? Minus ten thousand. So uh, <laughs> if you would like to make a hundred dollars, you just need to put down ten grand on McDavid. Is that it? 
which might be the easiest stuff. I was going to say that's the easiest free $100 if you're liquid that you can ever you can ever get. You know what? I would go ahead and say if you just have 30 grand laying around that you're going to put on a bet, maybe you don't need to worry about the $300 profit. Just not worth it. Yeah, you could get uh, put a couple sh- couple schmill down. It's free money. Yeah, Mattress Mac or whatever his name is that loses like $5 million. And what's the maximum year? bet though that they allow? Yeah, it's probably probably less than 30 grand. Yeah. <laughs> All right, there you go. That's a wrap on this week's edition of Buy or Sell. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, ten thousand. Uh, I, I would say a lot of people think McDavid's a favorite. Not a not a surprise at all. He is. Uh, He's going to be he, unanimous. Probably a pretty good chance he might be. He he was unanimous a couple years ago. Why wouldn't he be this year? I don't. Yeah. Perfect hundred for one hundred a couple years ago. So you know what's funny about that, Frank? Is everybody's yelling? He better be unanimous, and I'm like, he was unanimous, and no one even remembers. That's yeah. why I find it so funny that everybody. Yeah, gets it doesn't so- matter, but he probably will be unanimous. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But it's fun if he's not unanimous. We're like, yeah, but he was unanimous before. Even if he is, what does it mean? Like, so exactly. someone had a difference of opinion, one or two people. Like, so yes. what does that take anything away from the fact that he won the award? I don't understand. Yeah, people like if like somebody wanted to vote for Arm Allmark as the as the uh, most valuable to his team. Or Pasternak, like you could make, you could understand the argument. I don't know if I would agree with it, but I could be like, all right, like, what if Pasternak gets you sixty goals for a team that might have the best record all time? You know, someone might say, yeah, that's pretty valuable. So, I, I agree with you. I don't think it matters, but could he be unanimous? I think there's a very good chance he would be unanimous for sure. Frank, have a good week. We will find out. Um, Wednesday night is the big one. Wednesday. Oh, that's a, it's too bad. The Islanders, the range uh, Panthers and the pens, they don't have any head to heads down the stretch. That's the only crappy part. But we'll fire it up again on Thursday and we'll, we'll break it all down. Okay. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the DFO rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.